Hey, good morning, gang. This is Pastor Eric Sorensen here to continue our series in uh, 1 Peter. We're in chapter 2 today. We're moving right along, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10. Again, just to review, this is a letter from uh, the Apostle Peter to uh, basically persecuted Christians, uh, Christians that had gone through some struggles and were really, I mean, I think questioning whether they had, you know, sort of joined up with the right team at the time and we're sort of struggling with some some issues, and so Peter writes to to shore them up in their faith and to shore them up in their trials. And so uh, it, there's no uh, definitely um, uh, there's no shortage of encouragement in our passage today. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses four through ten, and they read like this: As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So uh, today, Peter talks to us about what the church is about uh, by telling us what it is being built into uh, and then what it is being built upon, and finally, what it is being built for. Now, I'm not going to cover that last section today. We're going to go over that next week, what the church is being built for, what God is uh, doing through the church. But what we're going to talk about is what he's build, building us into and what we're being built upon. So, first of all, if you, again, you look at verses 4 and 5. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now let's just stop there for a second. Uh, good morning, Stacy. As Christians, Peter makes clear that God is doing something with his church. He is building some things through us, and the first thing we're told he is building is a spiritual house. Now, the first thing you got to note about this building of the spiritual house is that we are completely passive in the building. He is the one doing the work. After all, he refers to us, Peter does, as living stones. It's a really nice way of thinking about who we are before Christ. We're dead like a stone. We're almost like an inanimate object. And yet by God's grace and mercy, by his miraculous power, he's able to make us into living stones. But we are completely passive in this building. God is doing something altogether through us, even in spite of us often. Good morning, Whitney. 
So uh, the spiritual house, of course, quite obviously has reference to the Old Testament temple. And when we think about what the Old Testament temple was used for, uh, we quickly remember that it was the one place on earth that God made himself known and available to his people. Only here could, they, uh, could there be proper worship, and only in the temple could there be true fellowship with the living God. So when Peter says we are like living stones in this spiritual house, he is essentially saying that God no longer resides in a temple built by human hands, but that he has moved his presence into the hearts and minds of those who believe in him. In other words, the temple now are his people. So I always grimace a little bit uh, when I hear people refer to the church building as, quote, the house of God. You'll hear hymns that talk about the church building as the house of God. You'll hear all sorts, you'll hear pastors say it very frequently at the beginning of the service, welcome to the house of God. And, you know, I understand what they're saying, and I don't want to get too nitpicky. I'm not going to call for anybody to be charged with heresy over this thing. Uh, but in the truest sense, God is not bound by the building. God is within his people. God fellowships with you. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. And you can be anywhere at any time and have fellowship with this God, worship this God, and be certain that through faith in this God that he really is residing with you. After all, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 tells us that your body is in fact the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and the other members of the church are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Here's an important uh, sort of application for you in this regard. Remember, if you're living stones being built up into a building, that means that you're supposed to be connected with other living stones. The only way that the building can be built up is if there is a connection to all these other stones. And when we're not connected with other living stones, in other words, when we're not in fellowship with the church, then we're, we're not only doing harm to our own uh, life, but we're doing harm to the other living stones. The temple doesn't function well unless we're together. So unless we're fellowshipping together, this, this building is hindered. It doesn't uh, we don't, we, we're not able to serve each other the way that God has intended us to do, which is so significant in the early church. It makes the building weaker, and each stone needs to depend on the other. Okay, let's move on. The second thing Peter says we're being built into is a royal priesthood. That's the language there. Now, in the Old Testament, to be a priest, uh, one had to be born into the right family to qualify. Now, somehow scoundrels and outsiders like you and I are called priests. Whether we're ordained into the office of ministry or not, doesn't matter. Peter just broad brushes every Christian and says, you're all in. You're all now referred to as royal priests. 
Though naturally we were spiritually orphaned, Christ, by the blood of his cross, has bought us, has adopted us, and now has given us this title. So, verse 5 says again, after he declares we're being built into a spiritual house, we're also being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. And if you go down to verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So if you have trust in Jesus Christ, then you are in fact a priest. You are somebody that is interceding. You are somebody that has been given this, uh, this incredible right to come before God on behalf of others and on behalf of your friends and family, etc. But you are not merely priests, you are royal priests. What does that mean? Now in the Old Testament, a person was consecrated as a priest by being washed with water, by having a crown placed on their head. So washed with water, number one, having a crown placed on their head, number two, and then being anointed with oil. If you want to see that broken down, you can read about it in Exodus 29. These were the symbols of their, of their holy status. Now just walk with me here. Think about it. You too, as a member of the church, have been washed with the living water of baptism and made completely clean through Christ. Right now, you wear the crown of Christ's victory over sin, death, and hell, and you have been anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to serve him and the world around us. And we'll talk more about that service next week. And then thirdly, Peter says we're being built into a holy nation. A chosen race or a holy nation is the way he talks about it. Now again, we need to take a look back at the Old Testament to get a fuller picture of what Peter is talking about. God, out of his great unfathomable love, chooses Israel as his people, starting with Abraham. God, out of grace, calls him to be his holy people. He sets them apart for his glory and honor. Why did he set them apart? Was it because of anything in them? Was it because he looked down the quarters of time and saw how amazing and awesome they'd be? Well, all you need to do is read some of the Old Testament to find out that is not the case. No, it is because he's gracious and loving and wonderful out of his divine mercy and for his own good pleasure, he sets apart a people. And Peter is saying, if you are in Christ, God has done the same for you. You are God's chosen people, church. That's what he's saying. Unfortunately, I'm just going to go on a little tiny, tiny little rant here. There has been an awful lot of talk about the United States being a holy nation or a chosen people. The idea somehow being that in our founding we were once more holy than we are now, maybe true, maybe false, that's debatable. Matter of fact, not too long ago I was invited to a uh, you know Take Back America for God conference. Uh, it was just a answer. It was like a, a phone call left on my answering machine, and it was hosted by Newt Gingrich. Take back America for God. Well, here's the deal. There is nowhere in Scripture, no matter how many books are written about some hidden code in some book somewhere in the Old Testament that might just be alluding to America, it's bunk. There is no part in Scripture, none, that says America 
is chosen by God. Nowhere. Let's just be very clear about that. It does not exist. The only nation state that was ever divinely chosen by God was Old Testament Israel. And in the New Testament, as Peter says in our passage, his church, which is not bound by any tribal boundaries, nation, every tribe, tongue, and nation will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the whole deal with the church. It transcends nation states. That's his holy nation. That's his chosen people. That's it. That's it. So you being an American or not means no things in your relation to God. It has nothing to do with your chosenness. All right, that's just a little rant because I hear too much language about that and I just get a little, get a little annoyed. All right, so God is building his church into his temple, his priesthood, and his nation. We've gone over that. Okay, but what, on what is he building us? Let's wrap this up. On what is God building us? There has to be a foundation. Well, well Peter tells us, really in verses uh, 5 through 8, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture behold I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. So what are we, God's temple, God's priesthood, God's holy nation, built on Jesus? You knew the answer. You knew the answer before I, you knew it before I even said it. But you ever wonder why we always say in our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen? Well, the passage tells you why. It's because, uh, that's, we come to God through Jesus Christ, the end of verse 5 says. Now, it's not that if we don't say the little words through Jesus Christ or in Jesus' name, God somehow won't hear us or answer our prayer, but we say those words to remind ourselves that it is always through Jesus and what he's done that we are made acceptable to our Heavenly Father. We say it to remind ourselves that there is no other pathway to the King. We say it to remind ourselves that we pray uh, that all we pray for ought to be done according to his will first and not mine. And that name that we relate to the Father through is the foundation of the church and for that matter, all true religion. So conversely, if a church or anyone is building themselves on anything more or less than that, which is true about Jesus, that person, that Christian, is often on an errant path. Now notice Peter says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 16. And the passage there reads like this, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Interestingly, in the original text of Isaiah, there is no in him. He just says, and whoever believes will not be put to shame. So why does Peter include it? Well, here's why. All the rabbis, or so many of the rabbis at that time, when they read this passage, clearly saw it as being about the Messiah. And so they actually inserted the words in him, in their scriptures, to 
make sure the people knew that this was about the coming Messiah. And so Peter does the same thing here and says, yeah, this is really all about the Messiah. The cornerstone is, in fact, Christ. And so here's the deal. When it all comes down to it, everyone, everyone, no matter who you are, where you are, uh, what your background is, what your beliefs are, everybody is building their lives on something, or rather, somebody. Everybody. How do you know what you're building your life upon? I think it's common to instinctively say that we know, uh, that uh, say what we know we should answer here, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking what you think you should build your life upon. I'm asking, what are you building your life upon? What is it that if you lost it, would feel like the whole world was over for you? What is it that if you couldn't have it, you'd feel like life might not be worth living? Chances are, whatever that answer is to that question, is the thing that you probably struggle to build your life upon. It's probably the thing that at least you wrestle against. That might be your real foundation. But Peter says that everything else doesn't qualify as the cornerstone on which we can build our lives. Nothing else can handle the weight of all of our problems and struggles. No one else can handle what only Jesus is designed to handle. He's the one that holds the whole thing up. So whatever other foundation we may be building upon eventually will crumble. It's like the, the, the shifting sandy foundation that Jesus talks about. And so it is interesting, I mean, that, that this stone on the one hand causes some to stumble uh, and yet also can be the very foundation that holds up the most uh, towering building. And it is always that way with Jesus. It goes, there's sort of a both and that people will either stumble over him or they'll build their lives upon him. And our prayer, as we wrap up today, is that we might be able to say with sincerity, <laughs> because of what God is doing and what God is building us into, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Because it's on Christ the solid rock we stand, recognizing that all other ground is sinking sand. So with that, that's a little bit of who we're being built into, church. Remember, it's all God's doing. We just get to be stones in his work. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about what he's going to do through us as a building. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that are... Uh, that, that are mentioned in the young, upcoming passage, uh, in especially verses 9 and 10. We'll talk about that, but until then, have a wonderful week. God bless you.